there are lots of stories about people who've had to abandon ship at sea, man the lifeboats, hoping to be rescued. But sad to say, most don't survive. Most die of thirst. Most resort to drinking salt water, which is the unpardonable sin on the high seas. They resort to salt water because they're dying of thirst. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Any port in a storm. Maybe you can't relate to that analogy, though. Here's another one. You know that when you're real hungry and there's nothing to eat, you ever, you know what that's like, right? You're hungry, nothing to eat except a box of Tic Tacs. And you know they're not healthy for you. You know they're not going to satisfy you at all. But you resort to eating tic-tac after tic-tac after tic-tac until you've eaten all, yes, I've counted them, all 38 tic-tacs in your box. I'll ask you a serious question this morning. How satisfied are you in life? Are you content? I did not say complacent. How satisfied are you in life? Are you content? Spiritually, is your spiritual appetite healthy? Or are you malnourished and anemic? These are some serious questions. Another way of maybe framing this question is this. The ultimate question, are you at peace? And are you satisfied with your future? Or are you unsettled and fearful of death? So are you at peace Are you satisfied with your future? Are you unsettled and fearful of death? Today's text is about satisfaction. Just as salt brings no satisfaction to the thirsty and tic-tacs bring no satisfaction to the hungry, nothing in this world will satisfy your deepest needs and longings. Nothing, no one other than Christ Himself feeds our hungry souls. Nothing in this world can undo your bruised history. Nothing in this world will bring utter satisfaction. There's no doctor on this earth who can ultimately heal you. There's no supreme court that will adjudicate our legal woes. Simply put, appealing to this world and its temporary provisions for our troubles is useless. Keep in mind, we're talking about the Lord's Supper this month examining all about it. Last week we saw how the Lord's Supper didn't just appear out of thin air. Jesus didn't just institute the Lord's Supper with no underpinnings. It was all an outgrowth. It looked back to the Lord's Passover. Today we're going to see the essence of the Lord's Supper in a text that's really not talking about the Lord's Supper. It's a very interesting text. This text is 
the teaching that Jesus gives in the synagogue of Capernaum. He gives this to the crowd that had tracked him down to this synagogue only hours after he had multiplied a couple of fish sandwiches enough to feed thousands and thousands of people. So at the risk of being too simple today, we can summarize our Lord's teaching in four headings. Don't miss your sign. Don't waste your life. Be amazed and be satisfied. Those are the headings we'll look at in John chapter 6. So I'd ask you, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6 or turn on your tablets to John chapter 6. Again, let me just put put this in context. Jesus has multiplied fish and loaves to feed, in this particular instance, 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children. So there's at least 10,000 people that he takes a couple of fish, a few loaves of bread, multiplies it. They gather up baskets of food afterwards. So Jesus has done a miraculous event here. And uh, he leaves. The people don't know where he went. They finally track him down in the synagogue on the other side of the lake. That's kind of the context of of what's going on here. So the first heading is this, don't miss your sign. We're in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. So verses 22 through 26, let me read those. Jesus speaks and the, the word says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So here under the heading, don't miss your sign. A sign is something that points to something else that is significant. But y'all know this, we can can see the sign at times and miss what it's pointing to. In verse 26, the crowd asked Jesus, when did you leave? We, we, We missed you. What's going on? And Jesus just, he answers a whole different question. Jesus says, you followed me here for the wrong reasons. You saw the sign, but you miss what it signified. Dylan, a little nine-year-old boy who played baseball for me when I was coaching uh, years ago, was at, at bat Uh, The bases were loaded, and there was one out. I specifically remember this. We were trailing by a couple of runs, and Dylan wasn't necessarily the best hitter on our team. So I'm coaching third base, and I give him the bunt sign. Okay, bases loaded, I give Dylan the bunt sign. And it was in such a critical position. You know how nine-year-olds oftentimes will miss the sign. So I yelled at him. I said, Dylan, did you get the sign? And he backed out. He was backed out of the batter's box. He said, yeah, I got the sign. He steps back in the next pitch. He swings away. You see, Dylan, he got the sign, but he missed what it was signifying. Now, it didn't hurt that he actually hit a triple and we won the game. 
And that's why I remember that. Carl Sagan was overwhelmed with the greatness of the cosmos. He saw the sign, but not what the sign pointed to. He worshipped the creation, not the creator. But Jesus says to this people, You saw me because I multiplied the bread and the fish, and because your bellies are full, you wanted to track me down. You wanted to make me king. You miss the sign. You seek to use me, not worship and obey me. You see, many of these people were Jesus' groupies. They didn't follow him because they deemed him as the Christ, the Son of God, one who's to be worshipped. They followed him because of what he could do for them personally. Y'all, the prosperity gospel is nothing new. My friend, it's possible to be surrounded by Christianity. It's possible to be surrounded by all the, the outward elements of church and miss what they point to. It's possible to come and, and look up and, and see a cross and miss what it signifies. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that's the purpose statement of the entire book of John. Why did John write the book? Listen, he'll tell you. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs. Notice he doesn't use the word miracles. He said Jesus did, the, did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, what? These signs are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's something to do with these miracles. They're beyond miraculous. They are signs pointing us to Jesus. Why? So that we might believe in Jesus. Why? So that we might have everlasting life. So Church, don't miss your sign. But second, Jesus warns, don't waste your life. Picking up in verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. And then they said to Him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? But Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? That's amazing to me, actually. That is just, they're asking for a sign right there. Uh, and I think I am no different. Verse 31 Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread for heaven to eat. But Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus warns the people right then not to work for food that is temporary, that's here today and is gone uh, tomorrow. Whether it's a labor for the food that will last forever, that which the Son of Man will give you. So the people say, okay, we'll do something. What, what are we to do? What, what does it mean to do the works of God? And, and this is interesting how Jesus replies. Jesus doesn't say, well, go out and do this. Jesus says, here's what it means to be doing the works of God. It means to believe in Him, to trust in Him is doing the works of God. And so the crowd just unbelievably says, Show us a sign. 
validate what you're telling us. Because Moses did the same. Moses gave us manna. Well, Jesus says manna was from God. It wasn't from Moses, but it was just a shadow of the true bread that was to come. Manna sustains temporarily, but the bread that I will give you will last forever. And so the crowd, just like the woman at the well, remember the woman at the well who dealt with Jesus, and Jesus tells her about the water, and she says, Sir, give me this water. Here the people hear him talking about the bread of life, and they say, Sir, give us this bread. But let's not miss what Jesus has said. Jesus has told them, don't waste your life being consumed with those things that don't last. Bread molds, houses crumble, money vanishes, politicians morph, songs cease, dreams shatter, children leave, spouses die. Nothing in this world can completely satisfy you. Don't waste your life chasing moldy bread. Be consumed only with the true bread from heaven. Elon Musk is reportedly the wealthiest man on earth. It varies on which day you read about him, but he's worth approximately $250 billion. He's been incredibly successful with companies such as SpaceX, Twitter, Starlink, Tesla, and one you might not have heard of, Neuralink. And oh, by the way, if I, I won't say that, but, but keep your eyes on Neuralink. You think Tesla and SpaceX is big? Neuralink is the next one down the pipe that is huge. It's computer brain interface where, 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 where stuff that we would have just been in like space movies, like, like science fiction kind of stuff years ago is now real. Implanting things into our brains that will interface so that it will improve thinking and mental abilities and, and so on and so forth. Anyway, I digress. I'm not Elon Musk judge and jury. I'm not privy to his relationship with God at all. That's not what God has called me to do. But he is quoted as saying this, and I quote, I'm not really a religious person. I don't fear going to hell since the overwhelming number of people who've ever lived will be there. Part of that I would say he's right. According to the Bible, the overwhelming number of people who've ever lived on this planet will be in hell. But he's saying it's not going to be that big a deal because everybody's going to be there. I don't fear it. Listen to what Jesus, how would Jesus conquer, uh, retort to that? Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What will it profit a man if he gains $250 billion and he loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Church, I want to challenge you. And, it, and those of you who may not be believers, I'll even challenge you as well today. Will you decide this day 
that for the rest of your life, you will do everything possible to send everything that you can forward to heaven. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can work to send it forward. In whatever context that applies to you. For some of us, that, that, that it's locally. To others, it's not locally. It's somewhere out there. But every one of us can commit this day to whatever we're doing to work. To, to We can't work any harder to send it all forward. Again, Jesus says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Where does he say lay up your treasures? Heaven. But lay up for yourself. He said lay up for yourself. There's some sense in what we are doing now. We are laying up for later in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what our lives should be focused on on this earth. Not what we can do for the temporary kind of stuff, but what we can be doing to pay it forward, to send it forward. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth does moth nor rust corrupts and thieves do not break in and destroy. So we talk a lot of times though about wasting your life. I want to kind of go a little maybe outside the box here. One way we talk about wasting our life and being satisfied with temporary pleasures, right? So, so that's kind of what he's getting ahead. Don't, don't be satisfied with the temporary pleasures, y'all. Can, can things be temporary pleasurable? Absolutely. If they weren't, it wouldn't be such difficult for us. It wouldn't be so enticing for us. So we think of things that come to mind, you know, sin, things like lust. So lust satisfies briefly, but not deeply, nor righteously, right? Or money, we just talked about that. Will it profit us if we gain the whole world? But you know, it would be fun to be real rich for a little while, wouldn't it? I mean, nobody thinks you'd be like, man, I hate to have $250 billion dollars. But even $250 billion is temporary. So we can kind of look at those things and go, well, thankfully, I don't have a lust problem and I really don't you know, have to deal with finances, so this really doesn't apply to me. Let me just list a few other ways. What about the temporary pleasure of the silent treatment? When your spouse or your friend's hurt you with words, or they do something that disappoints. So we go into this silent treatment. And that can provide temporary pleasure, can it? I'm going to make her suffer. I'm just not going to respond. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to slam doors. But we're not to be satisfied with temporary pleasures. The pleasure of slamming a door, the, ple the, the pleasure of being silent to him or her is temporary. Real satisfaction comes in honest discussion and forgiveness. What about the temporary pleasure of seeing other people stumble? 
we go, deep inside we're going, glad that's not me. That's temporary pleasure. But real satisfaction is when we pray for other people's flourishing. But what about the temporary pleasure of being recognized for my service to the Lord? That brings temporary pleasure, like to be seen. If everybody sees me showing up on Wednesday night, or they see me going out on visitation, or they see me this, that, or the other, that's temporary pleasure because I, you know, I'm kind of getting pat on the back, and everybody looks up to me like I'm a really good person, a really strong believer, and that's temporary pleasure. Full satisfaction comes serving God and not caring who sees. What about the temporary pleasure of hiding the truth? In other words, telling a lie. It can be pleasurable. It can get us out of a jam for a minute, but it's only temporary. Real satisfaction, genuine pleasure comes from honoring God and telling the truth at all times. I believe what we need is to be conformed, listen, to be so conformed to Christ that the pleasure we experience from being obedient to Him outweighs the temporary pleasures of whatever else that we're doing. Whatever lie, whatever lust, whatever it might be. Does that make sense to you? So, so I mean, if you use the use a category of, of lust, let's just say that. Uh, so you have a problem with lust and you, you look at pornography or, or whatever it might be. Uh, may God change you. May God change us to the extent where for being obedient to Christ and not looking at stuff and not lusting is more pleasurable than the temporary pleasure of looking at that kind of stuff. Does that make sense to you? That's what God is doing in our lives. So don't miss your sign. Don't waste your life. But third, Jesus says, be amazed at God's provision. Be amazed at God's provision. Beginning in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumble. They grumbled at him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? But Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. So this crowd, they still don't get it, and they say, Sir, give us this bread so that we'll not be hungry. And so verses 35 um, 
if you've noticed this, the, uh, and I think Wes is going to take our youth through this uh, in, a, in a few months or so, the I am, the so-called I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Seven times in John, Jesus uses the emphatic, I myself am. Remember when Moses goes to God, and God is calling Moses to Egypt to deliver them. He says, God, who am I supposed to, to tell them sent me to release them from Egypt? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. So it, 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 it kind of goes over our head a little bit, but when we understand the way the Jews would hear Jesus, when, when Jesus says, I am, ego I me, he's not just saying, I am, he's emphasizing it. He's saying, I, myself, am the bread of life. And some of the others, he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am, all, there's seven of those. But Jesus emphatically here says, I myself am this bread of life. The bread that I've told you about, it's me, the Son of Man. I will give you myself. The, the woman at the well says, Sir, give me this water. Where is this water? And Jesus said, If you only knew who it was you were speaking to, you would ask him, and he would give you springs of water welling up inside of you. Jesus is saying to the woman at the well, I am the only one you need. Jesus is saying to these people, I am the bread of life. I am the only one you need. So we're amazed as we look over these verses. Look back at, at verse 35. We're just going to run through these just for a moment. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So to come to, believe, to, come to Jesus and to believe in Jesus is the same thing. The result is we're satisfied. Verse 36 Look at what he says. Jesus says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Y'all, you know this? Seeing Jesus, knowing about Jesus, even believing about Jesus, is not the same thing as having communion with Jesus. Some of you may be wondering, what has this got to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, you, hopefully you'll see in just a moment. But I'll say that again. Seeing Jesus, believing about Jesus, knowing about Jesus is not the same thing as having communion with Jesus. In verse 37, Jesus said, All that come to Jesus, He will accept and not cast out. That's all. And then again in verse 37, All that come to Jesus, listen, are a gift from the Father to the Son. We talked about that in our Christmas messages, didn't we? Do you know this? That you, If you are in Christ today, if you are saved today, uh, that is because before time began, God the Father gave you as a gift to God the Son. And he goes on, and Jesus will say, And I will in no way ever lose any one of those ones whom the Father has given me. That is something to be amazed over. In verse 40, look what he says here. Verse 40 says again, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, listen, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up. On that day. Let me just clarify that a little bit more too. I said that knowing about Jesus is not the same thing as having communion with Him. 
the reformers came along and they wanted to sort of define, well, what is true faith? What is saving faith? What does it me really mean to have the kind of faith that saves? And they, they sort of listed three components to that kind of faith. One is they, they call notitia, notitia, or the facts of the gospel. Okay, um, so it's important then to have, for, to have saving faith. Number one, you've got to know the facts of the gospel, right? So like the facts being, and these are things we talk about every Sunday, and if you're daydreaming right now, wake up. I'm sorry I have a knack to put people to sleep. The facts of the gospel are this. Every one of us is born outside of God. Every one of us is born sinners. Every one of us runs away from God, not to Him. Every one of us spit in the wind at God and runs the other way. That's our natural inclination. Our natural us, that deep part of inside of us where people would say, you know what, there's a lot of mess going on in this world. It's just awful in this world, right? People, well, we see that. And then they'll make a statement like, but you know what, deep down inside, everybody's pretty good. That's not what the Bible says. Deep down inside, the Bible says, every one of you and me is rotten to the core. We are not inclined to run to God. We are inclined to run away from God. We are not inclined to obey God. We are inclined to obey ourselves. We are not inclined to worship a holy God. We are inclined to worship ourselves and enthrone ourselves. If you don't believe me, just ask Adam and Eve. So Notitia is the facts. Then essentia means, uh, again, we're talking about what does it mean to have saving faith. You've got to understand the facts. But number, number two, you've got to believe the facts are true. Somebody can say what I just said, and you can go, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I understand what you're saying, but I don't believe it's true. So you've got to believe it's true. So you know the facts, you know they're true, but you know what? The Bible says up till now, the devils can do that. The devils know the facts. Demons know the facts. Demons know they're true. But finally... The Latin word is fiducia. It means to have genuine faith. It means to make those facts, to believe those facts, and to count them not only as true, but true for me. It means I will put my trust in what God has said. I'm just looking at the time here. I want to know when. I want to know a good place to quit. I don't think I want to cover everything today, but I, we are going to finish everything by two weeks. So let me just summarize this: what we just see here in this third point. If you if you notice this closely, I'll even pull in another verse or two. But if you if you look in verse, um, look at verse thirty nine. At the end of verse 39, Jesus says, All those he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. If you look in verse 40, at the end he says, And I will raise it up the last day. If you drop down to verse 44, he says, And I will raise him up on the last day. And then if you even go on down, we haven't read this yet, but verse 54, he says, And I will raise him up at the last day. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the, the resurrection. Uh, Y'all, some of you have spouses who've died, Right? Some of you have children that have died. 
Y'all, if, if, if there is no holy God with the holy plan, listen to me, if there's no holy God with the holy plan, you buried your child and you will never see him or her again. There is no more hope whatsoever, ever, ever for your child if there's no God and there's no godly plan. But aren't you glad there is a God? Aren't you glad that He does have a plan? And aren't you glad that He's in control of this plan and we're not? He talks about that and He... And he so we'll just look at these ones. These are ones He says, I will raise Him up. He's speaking of the grave. I, so this week I did something maybe I shouldn't do or wasted time or whatever. You could call it wasting time. But I was sitting back there in my office and I had a box of stuff that I brought from home from previous churches and, and not a bunch of stuff, just a little bit of stuff. But, but in my hand I reached in there and I pulled out and there were church pictorial directories of the other churches I've been involved in. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those Olin Mill ones, got all your pictures, went like from 35 years ago, and you're like, did they look like that? But can you believe that? So, so I, found, I found a couple from Southside, and I found uh, a, a few from churches I pastored over the last 25 years. And I, I pulled out the ones, the people I knew, right? You know, the churches I, I pastored before, and I start going over these pictures. And I'm going, man, I hadn't seen Eddie and 20 years, hadn't seen Tracy in 15 years, I hadn't talked to, you know, Marion, Marion died a long time ago, and, and you just got, like, this stuff is useless if there's no resurrection. And then I pulled out the Southside directory from like 1980. And I go, and I'm, and I'm looking, and I'm, you know, it might be an 80 Six, eighty-five. I don't even remember what year it was. And I'm looking, trying to find some people. And I read these names and I look at the picture and I go, nah, that's not the same person, is it? Yeah, it is. It is. And then I read on down and I see a Bradbury. And it's not, it's Rufus. And I heard so much good about my Uncle Rufus. How he was part of this church and he was, you know, fixed the buses and, and did all that kind of stuff. And I think back, I was like, you know what? I never even hardly remember saying a word, talking to my Uncle Rufus. And then I look at other people. I, I read about Southside and previous preachers and, and Sunday school teachers and people that were important or not important as it goes, but, but, but members of this church. And I go, man, I don't know who they are. I have no clue who they are. And you know what? If there's no resurrection, I will never know. But Jesus promises on that day, I will raise them up. So you know what? I look forward to spending some time with my Uncle Rufus and just say, Rufus, man, I'm sorry every time I went to your house, all I wanted to do was ride your motorcycle. That's what we would do. We'd come to South Carolina at Christmas time. We'd go to Rufus's house and we'd get on his go-kart or my, my cousin's go-kart motorcycle. Didn't care about my cousin. Didn't care about my uncle. But you get a little bit older, and now you care. And I'm just telling you, y'all, God lets us get older. He lets us understand these things. And it's as we get older, we understand the resurrection matters. Well, I can't finish this message. I, I can't. Um, I'm, I'm not going to try to. I'm, I'm just not going to try to. Next week, we'll, we'll, 
we'll pick it up kind of from here, and I'll blend in a little bit of what I plan on preaching. Today. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. Um, but the, the, what I want to end with is maybe is this. The main point of this message, I think, is, is already obvious. Temporary pleasures can only be satisfying to a limited degree. Temporary pleasures satisfy temporarily. Would you pray to God that He would make your, as I pray to God, that He would make my my desire for the pleasure of obeying Christ greater than the temporary desire I get when I sin? To me, that's what it means to be sanctified and grow as a believer. True satisfaction is found only in an intimate relationship with God through Christ. The end. I'll leave it up to you to figure out next week how this sermon applies to the Lord's Supper. But I won't trivialize this, and I'm not going to close this haphazardly because I truly believe in, a, in, a, in a, a group of people this size there's some here this day that when you die there's no biblical reason you have no biblical reason while, you, while you'll be resurrected to eternal life you have zero reason that's just true for usually for a group this size say preacher make that plainer okay there's some here who are going to die and go to hell, and you know it. What an awful, egregious thing it would be to walk away from this church building today having heard that God can save you, and yet you turn your nose up at a holy and loving God. So this day, if you're sitting out here and you're going, Preacher, I'm not one of those people that really love Jesus. I don't know what that truly is all about, but I would like to know, and I'm not playing games. Then as we sing this last song in just a moment, uh, I want you to, you can come forward or you can go in that room across the hall when we're all done. But today is a day, don't don't put that off. But I'm really speaking mostly to Christians today. I believe that. Christians, I'll just ask this, how satisfied are you in life? Are you genuinely content in life? Or do you fear death? Do you fear what might happen? See, if if we fear what might happen, then are we truly trusting God? Do we truly believe that He is sovereign like He says He is? Because if He is sovereign like He says He is, and God is good then there's no better place than to be in God's hands and to be able to say, Lord, as you will, I will do. Lord, as you desire, I will follow. Lord, I will not be afraid, for your word tells me that the enemy might fall at my side. A thousand may fall at my side. Ten thousand may fall at my side. But I am in Christ And the Bible says this, listen, church, this should make you smile and it should make you happy. Jesus says, I am in 
I am in you, they are in me, and listen, no one, no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So Christian, I don't know how that applies to you today. You take it to the Lord. You can come here and pray. You can pray in your pew. You can go across the hall and meet with me afterwards and pray. Uh, whatever it may be, uh, we're, not, we're not, and I, listen y'all, so-called altar calls can be so manipulative. I've known preachers who can sell Kirby vacuum cleaners right up here. They could so twist things, they could make you feel like, if I don't come down and buy a Kirby vacuum cleaner, I'm going to die and go to hell. So that is not what I'm saying. Uh, you make a decision in your pew or across the hall, but if, you, if you're compelled and you want to come forward, then don't delay, but you come forward now, now. And we won't delay this. Let's go to the Lord and pray, and then we'll sing. Our Lord and our God, thank you for the bread of life who truly satisfies. God, um... I can't speak for everyone in this congregation, Lord, but, but I sense, I, I believe that I speak for most, including myself, Lord, that there's so many times that, that I look for other ways to be satisfied and the true bread is right in front of me on the plate ready to be served. And please, God, I pray, oh God, that you would make me, I, I can't make myself, but God, you would make me Love the everlasting pleasure of trusting and obeying you more than I would enjoy or love the temporary pleasure of disobedience, whatever it might be, lying, lust, cheating, the quiet game, whatever it might be. So Lord, you know our hearts. God, I pray that during this invitation time, we would realize this is your invitation. It's not the preacher's invitation. And we can respond coming forward. We can respond wherever. But Lord, you call us all to respond. May we obey you now. In Jesus' name, amen.